The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Project Nerd as a whole. I could let them know about about the sorrow and the happiness that the future has in store for them. Maybe they could learn from it. Let's dive deep. Let's dive right in. We're going to dive deep into this. Let's deep dive into this. This is Diving Deep. This is Diving Deep. This is Diving Deep. <laughs> no, it's all right. Hey, hey, hey pro nerds. Welcome back to another Diving Deep. I am your co-host, Iggy, and I am here with Josh, my fellow pro nerd, uh, best known for his time with Sexy Nerd Science and, of course, our events team out of conventions. How are you doing, Josh? Doing fantastic. I'm also well known for interrupting things. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Awesome. So if you are just joining us and stumbling upon us, uh, Project Nerd Podcast, what is Diving Deep? Uh, well, very first thing, I encourage you to go back at least one episode as this is a part two of multiple episodes. But Diving Deep is our podcast where we kind of stray away from the normal geekiness that we do with all of our other podcasts and, well, dive deep. And uh, right now we're diving deep into uh, the pandemic that we're all currently impacted by one way or the other. Uh, we spent episode one talking a little bit about Josh's experience. Uh, he shared with how he was able to uh, find ways to to make unemployment work uh, and things like that for what uh, for his job. Uh, then we kind of stemmed that because it was a take two for us. And the first time around, it, it, it spurred a lot of topics that led us into another conversation, a greater conversation of this. So we wrapped up episode one kind of explaining what epistemic bubbles and echo chambers were and why we wanted to talk about them and how we're going to tie that into how that can help us as individuals through this, not only pandemic, but help us to move forward with this and all things. Uh, so as we get into this, it's going to get deep. And so I do want to just point out, as we said at the beginning intro, that the views and opinions expressed in Diving Deep are not necessarily that of Project Nerd as a whole. And even though I, Iggy, the owner of Project Nerd is here, I am one but 40 plus amazing pieces in this great company. So again, my opinion is my own. It does not reflect all of that of Project Nerd as we have a great diverse group of people who have a lot of different opinions and we definitely argue them internally, especially. I just, I just now thought about, I guess, the, the dinner with Tyler and Carrie <laughs> when we were in Omaha, the yelling, the yelling, oh my goodness. So anyways, before I get off on that, again, let's, let's talk about your paper that hopefully some people might've read before joining us here. Hopefully it pissed some people off. Hopefully it made some people happy. But uh, tell us what your paper's about and why you're writing it. I can only hope that it pissed some people off because I definitely, I, I encourage feedback on this and I wrote you're, it. You're Josh, you pissed people off, yeah. don't worry. And I, I put it in, a, in a, a place, so it's on it's on a Google Doc and it's on a Google Doc that if you click on the link, you can actually comment and highlight sections. You can edit or you can ask to edit it. So I, I'm asking for proofreading because I suck at proofreading. Um, but I've had at least one person who I do kind of share a similar mindset with uh, go over the whole entire thing and give me his two cents on a lot of the stuff and be like, oh, this part right here hits really close to home for me. I totally get what you mean by here. Do you mean this? And we're able to have that discussion within Google Docs. Um, so it is good for revision. It is good for feedback. Um, and I don't know if anybody else can read the comments that other people put, but you can, I can, you can read the comments. I can oh, read good. I, I read them. You read Ethan's <laughs> I, comments on this stuff? I, and well, I saw a few discussion. of them on the first page, right. And, okay. uh, if, and if we do share the video, both of us are looking off camera a little bit because we do have that paper pulled up. And we yeah. strongly encourage you to pull it up too as you are following us. So break it down. Echo chambers and epistemic bubbles. What are they? Yes. So a uh, epic... An epistemic bubble is a social epistemic structure in which relevant voices have been excluded through omission. Um, compared to an echo chamber, which is a social epistemic structure in which opposing relevant voices have been actively discredited. Um, both of these are similar phenomena. Uh, they're part of what's called social epistemology. It's how we use epistemology, which is a branch of philosophy that is the theory of knowledge, what is knowledge, what constitutes knowledge, what constitutes justification, like truth conditions. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very, if you had to divide philosophy up into 
sections it's a pretty big chunk of philosophy just like ethics and logic and metaphysics i think would be you know the four main distinctions of philosophy um so epistemology is a big one social epistemology seems to be the contemporary topic uh, people like to talk about okay we know all this facts about epistemology and all these problems with it but how do we really use it how does it affect our day-to-day -day life and uh, right. this paper was influenced by misinformation and how misinformation is handled um, and how we are, you know, how, how I've been trying to track it um, and how other people have been noticing that it's been tracking very similar to that. Um, so a lot of my Facebook posts are about this kind of stuff or about topics I'm reading in epistemology currently. Um, this one specifically about epistemic bubbles and echo chambers that was inspired from a paper. Um, C.T. Wynn um, is the author um, and it's linked in my, or his, his paper title epistemic or echo chambers and epistemic bumble, bubbles is in my, my paper here. Cause I need to make sure that you know, he gets credit for this. Link is within your paper. Yes. Yes. So, you, you bring up a keyword there, misinformation, and that's how we tied it together with this pandemic issue, because whether you want to say Trump was slow to start this, um, or you want to go with his stories of it's China's fault, it's the World Health Organization's fault, whoever we bl blame, without a doubt, there was misinformation at the beginning that slowed down the Americans' response, the United States' response time to handling this coronavirus, and therefore probably caused more lives than it should have and has caused uh, probably a bigger impact on the economy than it should have as well. And uh, has caused us to have a slower response than a lot of other countries, uh, along with other things. There are other factors at play too, uh, but misinformation was a big one here. And as we wrapped the up first episode, we talked about it. You, you can get angry about this all you want. You can point to the other side that they have these, but everybody has an epistemic bubble point blank. And as we talked about it, it's the world we live in. It's the modern world we live in to where there's so much information that the services and corporations we shop at use all this so that are catering to that to better serve us, uh, to better make money off of us, as well as we often surround ourselves with like-minded individuals. And even if they do disagree with us on certain things, usually the topics we continue to discuss with those people are the ones that we share similarities with. So those can be, as we mentioned, dismissed with just an introduction of new information. However, the other thing that I think has been growing tremendously as of late, and something that's been around for a while, and I'm sure you'll touch on that, are the, the echo chambers. And the echo chambers are a lot more dangerous, if I'm going to be just frank about it. They are dangerous yeah. because that introduction of other information either doesn't get through or there's already a means to dismiss it. And we talked about it could be something as simple as the president trending fake news for credible news sources to where now if you say the word CNN, certain people will dismiss that. Um, or if you say news of anything that's not Fox News or now OAN, he'll dismiss it. But um, the other thing is too is over time, having your same source that has built up that discredit of something that could be credible uh, and that's where I think we see a lot more of the things around uh, climate change and, and even the flat earther conspiracy as to where people have spent so much time just ignoring science because of the discredit to it amongst the people that lead those movements. Now, we didn't so talk about... Oh, I was, oh, gonna I was just going to say. Yeah. Go ahead. Social epistemologists have studied echo chambers as they relate uh, to... Uh, and I don't like using the word because a lot of people take offense to this, but in religious cults um, and in conspiracy theories, those are two very heavily researched areas where social epistemology has said, okay, these are known sources of echo chambers. What are they? How do we deal with them? Um, and that's, that's where a lot of this research actually comes from, is from those studies of those things. It actually hasn't been really applied towards fake news and things like that until recently. I mean, 2015 is when a lot of these have really started to get posited towards right now when there's been dream news source. Yeah. And, yeah. and of course, and people can get offended, but by obviously religious cults doesn't mean all religion. So if you are religious, some of us are here too. We don't, it's fine, but there are cults out there. There are, there are comedy shows on Netflix about it. Kimmy Schmidt, you know, yeah. things like that. But um, 
conspiracy theories is a great one. And as we start talking about this, I'm glad you bring that up because that's, that's what's so relevant right now. And as we're recording these episodes, it is running rampant right now that this whole coronavirus thing is a conspiracy theory. And, and again, these things can very easily be dismissed without me having to do any research. I don't even have to do research to tell you that the conspiracy theory that the coronavirus was made up or was created by corporations for these certain people to benefit, including Fauci himself, um, is moot by the fact that countries that would not benefit have, it, have suffered from the same things and have lost lives, by the amount of deaths that are occurring, and by the fact that corporations are bleeding money right now. Nobody's making money off of this. Uh, maybe Netflix, but other than that, you know, regular businesses, especially ones that typically have a hand in the political game, aren't making money. And a great example right now is the oil industry. It, they heavily, heavily influence politics and oil during this hit record lows, including went negative. So it is AIG insurance is filing for bankruptcy, yeah, I believe so, I saw. So without even doing research, which we can if you want it, I right there dismiss it as a the conspiracy theory. But that's what you bring up. I know tons of intelligent people. And I know tons of intelligent family members, sorry, extended family, throw you under the bus, but people that is younger that I looked up to and all this that are in these echo chambers that share things that are incredibly like, are you serious? And they do no research on it and all that stuff. And it's because, like you said, of what you're talking about, it's the, it, I guess, it, well, this is all has to do with spheres, <laughs> bubbles. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so and go the ahead, question you have to ask yourself is, you know, how do we get there? You know, how do we get into these epistemic bubbles? How do we get into these echo chambers? Right. Um, and it starts off with the fact that now more than ever, but always, ever, ever since the beginning, there's always been more information to process than what we can deal with it. Not every single person can know every single thing through direct observation and experience. It's just not something that we've developed as a society. Um, and it's, it's one of the things that's actually the sharing of that information has been something that has helped us grow as a society. Um, so right now, you know, we have, we are being bombarded with information everywhere. The internet is a great tool to provide information globally, fast. Um, you know, our, our sphere of knowledge gets ever greater thanks to the internet. Um, and we have to have ways to process this relevant information. And so we process relevant information by filtering out sources. So we select and exclude sources um, because there's, there's nothing bad in and of itself. Selection and inclusion are not bad in and of themselves. Um, in the information age, we are simply overexposed to information and we have to narrow our view in order to process it. That's a direct quote from my paper. Um, these methods can be, but are not limited to trusting experts, trusting specific reliable resources, observation, word of mouth, trust between your peers. Um, the better the filter, the more it'll focus relevant, useful, and reliable information. However, inadequate coverage through the process of exclusion by omission can starve us of adequate exposure to other relevant arguments. So it's a process that we naturally have to partake in. We, we cannot process all the information. We have to be secluded where we're selective of where we're getting our information. So we have to omit some things. Um, we have to just trust, you know, right. a lot of people that are, you know, that they're telling us the truth. We grew up trusting our parents, you know, that they tell us the way the world is. That's how I did it. That's, that's something that we get there from them. And that's, that's a reality that, you know, that's an epistemic bubble that we've put ourselves in by no fault of our own. And, and this I get is into it. the paper yeah. talking about that. And this isn't all politicians doing. So, you know, we can sit here and point at politicians and things like that. But another thing that we've kind of touched on is, is it's, it's a business thing and it helps. Whether you look at it for the view of companies invading our privacy or helping us better get to the things we want anyways, they are helping form these bubbles now too, more than ever. And a great example would be is, a, is I collect some nice shoes. I prefer Nike. I can go to nike.com, shop on Nike, and go back to Facebook and I will have Finish Line, Foot Locker, whoever on there showing me their Nike shoes. Again, you, you can coin it one way or the other, but the idea is that Finish Line is knowing if I advertise to this dad who just wears his whatever shoes from Walmart because he's not worried about it, 
it's not going to go anywhere. But if I advertise to Iggy, he wants shoes. He likes shoes. So it is. And those definitely, ads might help you save money on that pair of shoes too. They're, the they're not too, malicious yeah. ads. They're right. So it's it's not always when when you say these things, it, the epistemic bubbles aren't always introduced to us with the attempt for us to close our minds to other things. Right. It is it is just introduced to us as like you said, because there's too much information. And not only have people always been there to help us contour that bubble for us, but now even more so the technology we use, the corporations and everything like that. So it's not, again, stemmed always from a bad thing. Correct. I just wanted to throw that out there. So yeah, no, and that's that's you know, we we talk one of the things we talk about on the paper is, or I talk about on the paper is um you know, blameworthy. Like, are you, are you blameworthy for falling into an epistemic bubble? And the answer to that is no. Um, you know, you, sometimes you're a victim of circumstance and that, you know, are you possibly just epistemically lazy by remaining in a, a, a bubble that you shouldn't be in, you know, like, oh, well, I was never told that, you know, I, I know it sounds terrible, but, you know, I was never told that that word is offensive to somebody. So I I didn't know. I, I should be excused from that. We would probably say that a person who's using language that they shouldn't be using around demographics and people that they shouldn't be, they're being epistemically lazy. And therefore we do kind of put some blame on them for being right. in that epistemic bubble. But I mean, we've heard that argument before every Thanksgiving we joke around about it. Like, oh, grandpa's grandpa grew up in the South. He, you know, he, he has some weird words that he likes to use to describe certain people. You know, I, it's it's one of those things where it, it it's we're not excusing it by any sense of the means. We shouldn't excuse it. But we do kind of know like, hey, that's an entire group of people that because of their geographic location, have technically been raised within an epistemic bubble where they just didn't know any better. And yeah, they're, they're lazy. Like we can call them lazy. We can say, hey, you should have done your due diligence and try to expand your horizons more on your own. And we can put that blame on them for that. Um, when we get into echo chambers, um, falling victim to an echo chamber sometimes isn't not we, we're not blaming people for that either um a lot of people are raised in situations where you know they they get trusted information from their parents and their parents get information from one source only and they indoctrinate their children and those children are raised in that environment and we, we wouldn't necessarily say the kids are being epistemically lazy um, and I, I, I touch on that in the paper specifically by, you know, what kind of duties should you have to escape a, an echo chamber and to escape an epistemic bubble? And, you know, to escape an epistemic bubble, you know, you try to get sources from other places, you are open to suggestions, you experience new experiences. But the problem is, if it was just a epistemic bubble, and you were to get new knowledge, new relevant information, it should burst that bubble. It should expand, you know, burst that bubble and possibly create a new epistemic bubble where now you include this new source of relevant information. Um, whereas echo chambers, because of their design, the new information you get, you might already have some predisposition towards that knowledge source given to you by the creators of the echo chambers by the sustainers of the echo chambers so blame praiseworthy and blameworthy is it blameworthy to be in an echo chamber no not necessarily is it blameworthy to be in an epistemic bubble no not necessarily is it blameworthy to create an echo chamber most certainly yes um right and that's and definitely something that I see happening a lot and people don't realize that. Is it blameworthy to perpetuate echo chambers? Yes. So in your research, as you talked about, you tried to keep this as non-political as possible. You tried to, to be just to take it away from the left and right. But the more and more you did research, the more and more you found something different there. And right now the conversation of echo chambers, and it's not always used the word echo chambers, 
Um, we really look at it as the, the, the fake news echo chamber, the things like this. The, the Trump, the MAGA crowd, the whatever the Trump influence seems to be really highlighted and that they are in this sphere. Again, that most people don't call it an echo chamber, but it is. And it seems very different than the left. Uh, now, in your research, you mentioned something about that. So what are, why is there a difference here and how the one on the echo chamber on the right is working compared to the ones on the left? So what you see on the echo chambers on the left, because they definitely exist, they self-defeat, or they, they don't self-defeat, they defeat each other. Um, so they're actively working against each other to prohibit one from absorbing one group from absorbing another group they don't work well together um so it seems that the echo chambers on the left tend to be something you know where you know we talk about you know you can have echo chambers on the left in regards to flat earthers there's plenty of liberal flat earthers and conservative flat earthers neither of which might fall into the same echo chamber in other places but when you know, the echo chamber for the left, you know, and gets some other information from some other spot, they, they don't agree with it the same as somebody on the right wouldn't agree with it. And it, it, they, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's, it's, they defeat each other really early on before these echo chambers on the left can grow. There's not one real big echo chamber on the left. Whereas we see more and more, and even right now we're seeing examples of this, um, where the right seems to have one big echo chamber where there is usually a leader of that, that echo chamber who is, you know, the person saying, this is a trustworthy source. This is not a trustworthy source. Um, there's lots of big voices that all seem to agree with each other always. Um, these are the Alex Joneses. These are the Rush Limbaugh's. These are the, um, I mean, the Sean Hannity's. Um, I, I, I know, I, and I, I'm not just trying to pick on the right here. I really am not. These are the Donald Trump's, of course. They, they all echo the same information. They all parrot the same stuff. They all tell you to beware the fake news. They use the same common language, SJWs, fake news. Um, they share that common language. Uh, it's all things to strengthen that echo chamber on the right. Um, and it, it does. It seems like there's just one big echo chamber on the right, possibly two echo chambers on the right, but you're starting to see things even right now. So Fox News for those that have not been keeping up, uh, is starting to become more and more or less and less trusted by the current administration. Um, even Fox News is not going far enough to keep up with the ideas of the echo chamber. And because they're not keeping up with the echo chamber, they are now being pushed aside as reliable sources of news by the current speakers of of the news and that's you know again sources like breitbart infowars uh you know uh oan is the new i think we talked about that on the last episode is the new the new thing that literally takes quotes from donald trump rephrases them into questions and then questions them back to donald trump to help reinforce what's being said in a way that it sounds like a legitimate news source is being like, Oh, we totally agree with you when you said this, can you just re say that again? So we can further agree because the act of just having more people that agree means we must be right. Um, and that's called epistemic bootstrapping too. I talk about that in the, the, the paper as well is you get a lot of people all parroting the same information. And we seem to think that that, means that it's reliable right um and and this is it, it you know this can't dismiss it these people we so often that we the one the those of us that disagree with these certain people we so often dismiss them as dumb and this is ridiculous how stupid can you be but this is actually genius the development of this huge echo chamber on the right has fortified them to where the left is still divided. And we saw that with the primaries, we see that in the voting in the primaries, 
we see a, a level playing field and people trying to influence what happens to where on the right, you, you fall in line. You fall in line or you get dismissed. And that has fortified the right and has possibly fortified even through all of this, through all of his mismanagement of the coronavirus, through all the things Trump has done. Whether you like him or not, he has he has told people to drink bleach, basically. To he has told he has he has disblamed the World Health Organization for for the mismanagement of this. He has turned off screen in an, a press conference to br- blame Anthony Fauci uh, for dis- dismantling, you know, the the uh, the task force that would have been helpful at the beginning of this people still believe it and they still stand by him and he still might win this reelection because as you pointed, there is such a strong and big echo chamber there that it's actually quite genius what they've built. And it makes me believe that those voices, as you point out, they know exactly what they're doing. And I mean, so, and I pointed out in this, in my article later on, I think it's in like page three, um, it says, you know, in an attempt to break an echo chamber, as if it were a mere bubble, it's likely to backfire and reinforce the echo chamber's grip. Um, so you have to ask ourselves two questions. Who is responsible for the escape from the epistemic bubble and from ep- echo chambers? And secondly, how, if possible, do we escape from epistemic bubbles and echo chambers? And because we can basically go back to how we treat you know, morally, how do we treat these people, whether they're blameworthy or praiseworthy for believing a certain thing? Um, Because we essentially give everybody an equal, well, you're not, you know, just because you were indoctrinated by that group, you know, that's your excuse. That's why, you know, agree to disagree is the term we use a lot. I see it all the time. Um, And it's, it's not right. Um, And I, I called it out today on Facebook when I saw it too, and I know I know you saw a post as well, is that, you know, we, we can't simply sit here and say, you know, you have your views, I have my views, let's just agree to disagree. Because that will further this separation between the, the echo chamber and the other echo chamber or the other group of, you know, outsiders. Um, it furthers that divide. And it allows for this creation. So we've, we've gotten into this point where we are so worried about, and I, I hate to use this phrase because it's actually a phrase that's used on the right. We're so worried about hurting people's feelings that we're afraid to tell them what's true or we're afraid to have a disagreement. And that's one thing that the right has definitely capitalized on is that their idea of what is right and wrong is pretty consistent throughout their entire echo chamber. Whereas on the left, you know, we talked about this again, their idea of what's right and wrong is, you know, relative to each group. It's, you know, well, they say, oh, can't we just coexist, have our own opinions about things? And that is actually what's detrimental because it allows one group to say that their ideas are right, regardless if they actually are right. Um, you know, regardless of how true they say something is, it doesn't matter anymore because if they say it, it has to be true, not it's true and then they say it. Right, right. So this is great information. Again, the paper's linked on the first post and this post uh, over on projectnerd.com. That's project-nerd.com. Why is this relevant right now, I guess, is what we want to bring this into here. So these are some big things, some big topics. And I per- I know you were trying to stay as, <laughs> as you could, but I purposely tied it politically because I think that's where the relevance comes in. And And currently Trump is the one in power, so his name might be brought up more here in the next, but I think as, as we pointed out in the last pod episode, all the politicians at this level are bought and paid for. This is, this is a level to where there are a lot of corrupt people. There's a lot of people with motives that don't support everybody. And how is that impacting what we're doing here for this pandemic, especially comparative to some of the other countries that may not have some of those same influences? So the echo chamber, I think some of the best ways to put it, you mentioned, are 
the things that are said to discredit everywhere else. And a great one is the term over and over again about not supporting the Democrat beliefs is the word socialism. We can't pay out more money to help people. We can't give more benefits to people. We can't do more things for people because these are socialist agendas. And those people that need that very help then support that argument because of the word socialism. I think that's a huge thing that is impacting the way we are being able to basically not only take care of the other people right now in this country, uh, but even the businesses when you really break it down. Because you can bail out a corporation all you want when they throw that money at their corporate leaders and don't use it the right way, they're still in the same problem. So what are some other ways, Josh, you think that these echo chambers are being used to really, maybe not even purposely being used, but even by default are being used to negatively impact our road to getting through this pandemic? So um, the use of private language, like you were saying, um, with you know socialism means something different to a certain political spectrum you know on the right side it means something different than to the left but it's you know or to like an entire population of the united states that grew up in, during the cold war it means a whole other thing you know that it really strikes fear into people and so that that use of private language um social justice warriors is another use of private language um that i see being used a lot people are trying to call for justice for marginalized groups or you know somebody you know some people who don't have a voice and they get called out as a social justice warrior and that leads to these problems happening as well um but the the spread of the misinformation um you know pointing you know saying from the very beginning the language used by donald trump um, the Chinese virus, that was, a, that was a really big one that was covered a lot that still to this day, I know if we were to talk about it on Facebook, we'd have people being like, well, it originated in China food that comes from China's Chinese food. Um, so, I mean, you, you get those arguments that, but by calling it a Chinese virus, you're essentially giving private language. Now the meanings, you know, we can talk about philosophy of meaning till the cows come home. Um, but the meaning by you giving that private language there he is talking to his epistemic bubble saying that when i call this the chinese virus it means that it is china's china's to blame you know right. not us it's not our fault it's china's fault when i you know when i have disagreements with people at the world health organization I point about, you know, I, I live all these statistics about how they're inaccurate. Oh, you know, this, this model said that it was going to be here at this time and therefore it was wrong. You know, um, the CDC wasn't quite right about this. So therefore they're wrong. Um, you so doubt before, you know, any, any real problems arise. And then once you do get a problem where it conflicts with that, you have all this evidence stockpiled against the World Health Organization, against the CDC, against even, the, you know, Donald Trump flip-flops a lot in what he, you know, if, if caloxychloroquine or I can't remember the, the name of the, the hydroxychloroquine. drug, hydroxychloroquine, yeah. if it starts killing people, I guarantee Donald Trump's going to be talking about how from the very beginning he was saying, hey, this was just an experimental drug. We shouldn't be using it on a large scale. It's not the magical cure-all even though we have direct evidence to say that's not what he's been doing because he might've said it at one point in time. If he gives that cushion to himself, and this is a very good, you know, we talked about gaslighting in the last episode. This is a very common tactic with gaslighting. You, you give yourself a, a, a cushion for evidence that when you're presented with something counter to what you've been doing the entire time, you say, see, I said it from the very beginning that, you know, we shouldn't be blindly trusting this and maybe it's not, you know, and we can make predictive claims about stuff like that. I do it all the time. And, you know, a lot of times I, I, I like to be wrong, but, you know, again, the title of my paper is I may be wrong, but I doubt it. Um, it it's because 
we, you know, we, we say these things and even that, even me saying, I think I may be wrong, but I doubt it is an example of what somebody in an echo chamber would say in order to sow doubt, doubt. from dissenting opinion. Right. Um, and I, I, I admit that I am guilty of doing it, even in the title of my paper. Um, <laughs> um, but it's maybe definitely... you, you did that on purpose as to, uh, to because of the paper. I it's mean, meta, it's obvious, guys. Come right? on. This it's is obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, um, but, but you bring up a good point. And it's not just Trump. And it's not just those terms that were allow him to put blame elsewhere. It's also other things. Um, one that I've seen used a lot, and ex again, by extended family members, is the Wu flu. Um, considering because Wuhan, China, and the flu. And by saying Wu flu, you are then comparing it to the common flu, which has been something that many have attempted to do since the beginning, which somehow they still stand behind it, even though the numbers are now shattering the numbers of the flu. And we have plenty of data to show how much easier one person can spread this compared to how, often, how easy it was to spread the flu. Um, but by saying Wu flu, that takes away the virus term, that takes away this, and it just makes it an everyday thing. And these are, as you said, ways that people are gaslighting us. And what's gonna be important here is that this is not a Trump thing. This is an everything thing. America is about to experience the biggest gaslighting we have ever experienced. And I hate to break it to you people, you guys actually experience it all the time. We just don't realize it, as Josh has pointed out, but, Every corporation, even the ones you agree with, even the ones that handled things right, every politician is going to be using some form of gaslighting to get their agenda to move forward as we go to some sort of normalcy after these shelter-in-place orders continue to lift. And that's going to be, I think, the direct influence of these echo chambers is how effective that gaslighting can be. Yeah. And... And I know we, I, I don't know how long we are on time here, but I know I'll kind of, kind of get to the end of my paper. Um, we talk about, you know, what are, what are solutions for these problems? How do we, how do we fix this? And, uh, you know, we've, we've established pretty, or pretty early on that echo chambers or that uh, epistemic bubbles have a pretty easy solution. Just simple exposure to new information should pop or amend a epistemic bubble. So it might not, you know, it might absorb that new information and change what's on the inside, or it might just burst the bubble from the inside because you're given new relevant information. Um, that should be enough to do it. So just, you know, asking people to expand their, their horizon for where they get some of their informations or do some extra diligence. Um, and to do that, I think we need to put some sort of responsibility clause on how people think. Um, I'm a real big advocate of moral epistemology. I think that people should be praised or blamed for how they think, how they get knowledge, and should really consider how they, they are transmitting knowledge. Um, because I think that's something that we take for granted uh, in meme culture. That's one of them. Uh, in joke culture, you know, we, we spread a lot of jokes. We spread a lot of memes. We, we go on these campaigns on Facebook where we say, you know, I'm tired of your negativity. I'm going to cut you out of my Facebook feed. Um, and I've, I've bragged about not ever deleting anybody from my Facebook because I didn't like their opinions. Um, I, I've never done that. Um, simply because by doing that, you are strengthening your bubble. Mm -hmm. um, you are making things worse. That is poor epistemic judgment. And, you know, it should be blameworthy. Um, the people who post, you know, s not satire, because satire is okay. I, I would argue that satire is just fine. People who post things to be edgy that is like you said you know in the last podcast you give credence to a position you share information to something that you might think is not a not not harmful to do but the simple act and the way that social networking is designed by you interacting with that piece of information you now affect how that piece of information gets spread to other people like you. 
Um, so to, I want to I want to c- compound on that one because we have a, yeah. a good friend of ours that, and I, I respect him tremendously, but he Love does like to does love to post <laughs> these types of things on social media to create argument, and he'll yep. do it on both sides of the aisle. But exactly what you're saying is my statement to him today was you sharing this can give credible credibility to it. And what it was, was a YouTube thing that's already been pulled because it was a load of crap and was easily dismissed um, by just two seconds of research. But the fact that is if it had a half a million views because people had been sharing it, even to create conversation or debate on it, somebody like one of my uncles, it could be the great example is I think who I used, could see that, see that it has a good enough following doesn't ever do research on it, shares whatever it is that helps his argument, he would share that and totally believe it. And so exactly like you said, by, by validating those sources, by clicking on it more, it moves up the, the search engine ranks, SEO optimization. It, it has more views shown depending on if it's a public thing like that and all that. It just, it validates things just by being edgy or by playing with it as satire, even though it's not technically satire. Yes. And that, that is a huge problem. And I think the only solution for that is for us as social creatures to put some sort of like taboo or some sort of, you know, pass some sort of moral judgment on people that do that. Report the false news on your social media, even about your friends, even if it's something you want it to be right, but you know, it's not right. Even if you would, would agree with it, if it's right, report it. Doing that will help. Um, Facebook has, unfortunately, Facebook's algorithms have already said, you know, that that false news button on Facebook doesn't actually stop it from going out. Um, Whereas on like Reddit, for instance, downvoting on Reddit is actually a really good way to, and reporting on Reddit is actually a really good way to squash that information early on in the beginning, which stinks because as more and more people turn to Reddit, for things so that conspiracy theorist video was on reddit weeks before it was on youtube um and right. it's one of those things where you know the community in reddit actually upvoted it got it moving because nobody downvoted it fast enough and it's because we don't hold each other accountable for stuff like that so um, so two big things here for to yeah. burst these epistemic bubbles is to educate 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 and accountability I think those are the two big takeaways of basically what you're saying. Yeah. Now, the educate harder one. yourself too and hold yourself yes. accountable. That's, that's that, the other Yeah, so that's what I meant by educate. Yeah. And that's a, yeah. that to me is a huge thing because when I see something, even if I agree with it, my first cause of action now is to go look for more resources or to even post to that person if it's something on social media. Hey, I really like this meme you're sharing because everything's a meme now, even the, the preachy stuff where where's the source on this where where does it show that the celebrity actually did this good thing or where does it show that this politician actually did this bad thing you know so exactly self-education educating stuff but the hard one now how do we burst these 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 echo chambers because that's the, the one that's really impacting us heavily the the problem with the echo chamber is we cannot approach them from the outside um that's not necessarily saying you need to join the community and, you know, go, go, what's it, you know, sleepers, sleeper agent on these echo chambers, but we, we get can't a, get a fake mustache and show up to the meetings. <laughs> we, we can't approach them simply under the guise of, Hey, I want to educate you on this. Um, hey, I need to, I need to give you this new information. Because simply by doing that, you're playing right into the hands of the echo chamber. It's not working. Um, What you can do if you are inside an echo chamber and you want to really think and you want want to dive deep into the echo chamber, I suggest reading Rene Descartes' Meditations 1 to 5 um, about self-discovery. Those are the things where he came up with the slogan of ergo et sum, I think, therefore I am. Um, because what Descartes did in that was to completely say, okay, everything I know, pretend I don't know it. Start from the beginning. Tell me what do I know? 
and then approach everything else as you bring it back into your circle of knowledge, put it through these tests that you have started from the ground up. Um, that is a pipe dream, realistically. That is not something that we can expect every single person to do that's in an echo chamber. Um, it's unrealistic. It's not a good way to do it. I definitely think that is something that, you know, if you really want to, like read the philosophy, get into one of those things and really try to do that. Um, just be prepared for conflict because immediately after that, you know, there's a ton of other philosophers that are like, hey, Descartes, you got it wrong here, 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 and here. Um, so I mean, that's not without its faults, but some sort of life reboot is a way to escape an echo chamber. The other way that we've seen people escape echo chambers, um, and this has again been done with cults and with, uh, with you know, groups. So the biggest example that I found in the paper was with the gentleman who was of the fascist party, raised a fascist, raised a neo-Nazi, um, and while he was raised a neo-Nazi, he became friends with somebody who obviously was part of this marginalized group and their friendship helped him see that, hey, maybe my way of thinking isn't right. Maybe I should self-reflect and self-examine some of these things. So it was through the power of friendship. <laughs> I know this is all touchy-feely and happy, but it was through the power of friendship with somebody who thought differently that they were able to change how they thought about things and essentially escape the echo chamber. So the message that we have to deliver is if you want to get people out of echo chambers, it's not gonna be done with hostility. It's not gonna be done by pointing the finger of shame. Um, it's gonna be done on establishing some commonality understanding and empathy between both parties. Um, you gotta be able to approach this one-to-one, -one, face to face. This is gonna take, you know, if your best friend is spouting this nonsense and you truly believe that what they're doing is harmful to themselves and to other people, it's going to take some sort of intervention-like emotional connection with them to say, hey. You really need to, to help get yourself out of this. I care about you. Here's why you need to self-reflect. You need to self-educate. You need to get out of this situation. Um, and that can have dire consequences. I, 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 my it's paper ends off. Yeah, my paper ends off on a kind of like, hey, there's, there's a solution. We know the solution or we seem to know the solutions to escape echo chambers, but they're not easy. Um, they're and people definitely don't like not easy. easy. And they're going to be hard. We're probably going to lose a lot of friends. Um, we're probably going to make a lot of enemies. And unfortunately, that seems to be where it ends off right now. That's where my paper ends. That's where <laughs> this conversation is I'm ending. Closer, yes. Well, Josh, it's good information. I think the biggest thing it is we we talk a lot of stuff here, um, stuff that's not our normal nerdy stuff, but it, we feel it's important and it's important right now. And how does this tie to episode one? And it's we've got a lot of change to do as individuals and as a country. And it starts with with getting off our asses and voting, and it moves to educating each other and ourselves, and doing it in ways that are kind enough that it's not creating just conflict over the things although as you said it sometimes still might create conflict and then of course it's the the moving forward and i think a big big thing here is compromise isn't always a bad word and we we think that it is sometimes it is but it's not always a bad word so that's how we got here is by saying <laughs> the compromise isn't bad by the way like that, that's, that's the, that's the, the slippery slope is because we, we say. You got to know what compromise is bad and what compromise is good is the thing. It's that's it, it. That's hard. That's just as hard as confronting the problems is because, because we compromised here doesn't mean I'm okay to compromise here. Cause this is a moral thing as opposed, this is both of us getting our ways on something that's not hurting anybody. Exactly. So there's a lot to digest, yeah. right? There's the a lot I to digest. Is matters of taste 
have your opinions about matters of taste. Consider everything else that's outside of your subjective reality as something that's that has an objectively true thing about it. And if you have a belief about it, prepare to be justified. Um, the best thing you can do for yourself is say, I have this opinion and this opinion is a belief. This belief is based on these means of justification. Therefore, I think this belief is true and that's why I'm saying it. And be prepared to have those kind of arguments set that way. So then someone might be able to say, hey, I have this counter belief. Here's my justification. Here's why my justification matches yours, trumps yours, or should be subject to yours. I should concede my belief or I should convince you of my belief based off these means of justification. And that's, that's how we really need to treat those situations. Matters of taste, sure, by all means. You like chocolate ice cream, I like cookie dough, that's fine. You know, we can agree to disagree on stuff like that. But you think that the earth is flat. I think that the earth is a oblate spheroid. We we can't we can't say agree to disagree on that terms. No. It, I am I am morally obligated to correct you on that time and time again, forevermore <laughs> until we just stop running into each other <laughs> all right well josh these were some good conversations some deep conversations for those listening as always if you agree or disagree you have feedback you have things to add let us know if you have things directly um intertwined with josh's paper as he noted the link is there as it's open for comments and he's happy to get in conversation with you um, of course you can always leave feedback wherever you find diving deep in any of the project nerd podcasts specifically at projectnerd.com as well as any of our social media pages where there is very easy ways to leave feedback. Of course, if you are getting this on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever else you get Project Nerd podcasts, podcast feed, remember we have multiple podcast feeds, a number of great podcasts. And if you head on over to project-nerd.com slash podcasts, you can see many of them. Uh, even other ones with Josh and other ones with me. And uh, Josh, I, I think we'll have a lot more conversations as we really started to grow this podcast network this winter. I think we'd already been talking about talking more science and diving deep into some other things. Uh, so we do have plenty to talk about. Maybe not all three more papers to write. There you go. So maybe some, <laughs> some more topics related to this. I don't know. Maybe a part three is in your near future. But uh, with that, I bid you adieu, nerds. Thank you for taking the time to dive deep with us.